Okay, so uh, what are you showing me here? So these are screenshots that I took from Officer David Cummings' Facebook page. Holy cow! Did he post a Confederate flag? Yeah, that's a Confederate flag, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's more. I'm Erin Corbein, and this is the fourth episode of Jim Crow on Campus, a production of Weave News. When we left off last episode, Andre had been arrested. He ended up beating the case, and Deshaun was homeless. After seven weeks, he got a call from university administration telling him that he could come back to live on campus again. But it was when Deshaun sent that original email. Remember, the one of him asking for a hearing after being given 24 hours to leave campus? And this email was sent to John Kennedy, who is the director of residence life at SUNY Canton. It was sent to Courtney Bish, uh, who is uh, the dean of students and the uh, VP for student affairs. Um, It was sent to Kristen Robert, who was the uh, student conduct officer. It was sent to Chief... uh, Chief Al, Al Mokin, who was the chief of university police, it was sent to Zvi Zafran, who was the president of the college, and it was sent to a few other um, uh, administrators, like who who hold like VP or dean roles um, at, at that level, and Deshaun got no no response. So this was a real game changer for me. Up until that point, I had been growing more and more frustrated with the way that university police treated students and less and less tolerant of the lack of care by administration. Months before the situation with Deshaun and Andre, in March of 2016, I was on campus for a fraternity event. Andre's fraternity, actually, which is a multicultural organization made up primarily of men of color. So they had reserved a room in the campus center, and as the event was coming to an end, there was a group of us in the room just kind of packing up and hanging out. Lieutenant Kirsch came by the room, And he knocked on the door and asked, what time is the room reservation over? And everyone just kind of looked at each other, waiting for someone else to answer, because none of us in the room at that exact moment actually made the reservation. So we didn't know what time it was reserved for. So he repeated himself. I said, what time is the room reservation over? So I spoke up and I said, none of us know. Why? Is there a problem? There wasn't a problem. He's just an angry, arrogant, power-hungry man. That's Lieutenant Kirsch. So he left, and the room was silent and awkward for probably 20 seconds. Everyone was just kind of taken back. I mean, we felt like we were just being scolded by the hall monitor, but even worse because he's state police, and as we know, his powers are much, much scarier than a hall monitor. After that situation, I personally reached out to SUNY Canton President Zvi Zafran. Here's an excerpt from my email. Quote, you see, as a student on this campus, I am familiar with Lieutenant Kirsch, and I have a huge problem with having to write off being blatantly disrespected by our campus law enforcement because that's just how he acts. 
That is not okay. Lieutenant Kirsch shows a clear lack of both respect and compassion for the student body that he serves, end quote. I ended the email asking the president, what can be done about this? I was eager to meet with the president to discuss this issue further, but he just didn't respond. He never responded. After that, I started asking myself, how do students speak out at this school? If there's an issue, who truly listens? There's never been any type of open forum discussions or town hall style meetings that make students feel like they have a space to express themselves. And if administration won't even respond to a concerned student email, then what's the next option? Do students have to go out of their way and track members of administration down in person just to simply express a concern? I held those thoughts in the back of my mind. Months later, when Deshaun emailed every member of administration that he could possibly think of, and not a single one of them responded, I was absolutely appalled. And at that point, I decided I have to take a stand. A few friends and I had been talking about issues that we had been seeing for some time. And together, we decided to create an anonymous Facebook page for students to express their concerns with the school and university police. An online town hall style meeting, if you will. That was the idea. I know that if there's one thing that SUNY Canton doesn't want, it's bad publicity. So they may not respond to a personal email, but they sure as hell will respond when the same concerns are publicly announced. A few of my friends and I, we sat down with a group called Power, which is out of SUNY Potsdam, and it arose following racist death threats received by a black professor on the campus. We sought out their advice in starting a student activist group before we made the decision to start the Facebook page. Days later, concerned students of SUNY Canton went public. This was on May 26, 2016. And to no surprise, immediately we received responses from administration. Courtney Bish posted to the page on May 27th of 2016. She said, quote, Hi all, for those of you who don't know me, I am the Vice President for Student Affairs at SUNY Canton. I recently became aware of this page and wanted to reach out to let you know that we are here to listen and can assure you the administration does care about any issues, including discrimination, affecting our students. We would be willing to partner with any students who want to host an open forum in the fall semester to discuss these concerns. If you'd like to talk to us before then, you can contact me here at any time via private message, email at bdish at canton.edu, or call me at 315-386-7120. Dr. Zafran, our college president, also cares deeply about these issues and can be reached at president at canton.edu. Most students on campus should already have a cell phone number. Please know we're here and we're listening to your concerns, end quote. At this point, it was pretty obvious. They're not responding because they care. If they care, they would have responded to my email and to Deshaun's email. They would have responded when a student reached out and told them that he was homeless. They're responding because now we're affecting the reputation. We ignored their responses and their requests to me because we had no interest in keeping this to private, off-record meetings. We needed to see transparency from the SUNY Canton administration. Students began writing in their stories, and we'd anonymously post them. I personally started to do some digging into the officers' Facebook pages because, well, I knew that the officers were racist, and I knew that they'd be dumb enough to post racist things. 
and I was right. Officer Cummings posted a Confederate flag photo and several memes making fun of Black Lives Matter protesters. Lieutenant Kirsch's Facebook friend shared a meme to his page and said, quote, as soon as I saw this, I thought of you, end quote. The meme was making fun of the pronunciation of the word ask as axe, which is typically used in the African-American vernacular English dialect. I shared these photos to the Concerned Students Facebook page. These gained a lot of attention. Lots of students began sharing the photos in outrage. At this point, the media wanted to cover our group and what we were talking about. Watertown Daily Times called North Country Public Radio. Administration became very concerned with who it was running the page. They didn't seem to care too much about the actual concerns being posted on the page, just who. They told one reporter that they weren't concerned because they wrote it off as just a few students with a vendetta. We continued posting throughout the summer. And then one day in the fall semester, I was at a student government meeting for a school newspaper that I was interested in starting on campus, and President Zifran was there to make an announcement an open forum discussion. There were several things mentioned on the Concerned Students of SUNY Canton Facebook page that students brought up at the open forum. One in particular was Officer David Cummings' racially insensitive posts on Facebook. A few students, including myself, very passionately brought up this topic. I cited several instances throughout the country where police officers were suspended or fired, for posting similar things on their personal Facebook pages. At SUNY Canton in particular, where the on-campus student body is largely Black and Latino, I pointed out, it's especially important to hold employees of the college accountable when they act inappropriately. President Zvi Zafran wasn't having any of it. He shut down all talk of Officer Cummings' racist posts by citing his constitutional right to freedom of expression. He continuously referred to the posts as, quote, silly mistakes. He also shut down my notion that law enforcement officials are oftentimes held to higher standards than everyday citizens when it comes to behavior and conduct. According to President Zafran and also William Jones, the college co-diversity chair, that's not true for the law enforcement at SUNY Canton. Although, side note, after the fact, I did find otherwise in the State University of New York University Police Handbook. They are, in fact, expected to behave in a specific manner, both on and off duty. Regardless, the administration just wasn't budging, but neither were the students. Some students also brought up Lieutenant Kirsch and his treatment of students on campus. Boy, I wish I had audio of Chief Mulkin's response to this. Mulkin explained that he speaks to Lieutenant Kirsch about his behavior on a daily basis, and it's something that they're working on. Lieutenant Kirsch has been with the department since 1999. That's damn near 20 years. Students are harassed and instigated by Lieutenant Kirsch on a daily basis, and I wish that were an exaggeration. It seems that Chief Mulkin is aware of this if he's admitting to reprimanding him on a daily basis. I couldn't believe my ears when he made that comment. That wasn't the worst, though. At one point, Chief Mulkin's feathers were so ruffled that he actually raised his voice and literally began yelling at the students. He said something along the lines of, Do you think I want to sit here and listen to all of this? He also told students that if they're experiencing issues with certain officers, 
they should just approach those officers while they're on duty and tell them. President Zafrin kind of cut him off at that point and said, well, you know, they can come to us. They can express their concerns and however they feel comfortable. To be frank, it was all pretty bizarre. Chief Mulkin's response to student concerns with his department and his officers was as if we were inconveniencing him. Not only that, but he acted embarrassingly unprofessionally. And I later got word that administration had to speak with him about his behavior. This is the chief of police. As the forum came to an end, Andre decided to speak. After the summer was concluded, uh, there was an there was an open forum, like a where students and community members could attend um, a forum. Uh, it was kind of like town hall style, and people would go up to the mic and be able to speak one on one with the administration and administration administrators from across the board were there. So everyone that I um, mentioned that was CC'd on that email that Deshaun sent uh, a few months prior to this um, were, were present at the open forum as well. Um, so that includes Chief Mokin, President Zafran, um, uh, two of the diversity co-chairs, Lashawanda Ingram and uh, Bill Jones, uh, Director of Student Activities, Priscilla Leggett, uh, Courtney Bish was there, uh, uh, coordinator for, for Greek life was there, Amanda Deckert, um, every, everyone that you can think of in administration that does, that deals with student affairs, even the provost um, was there. So the academic side was there as well. And I told my story long and drawn out. And, um, at the end of my story, uh, I would say three or four administrators came up to me and asked me and, 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 and apologized, um, Funny enough, none of those administrators were uh, Chief of Police Al Malkin. He immediately uh, left, like immediately didn't say bye or wave or smile to anyone. He got the hell up out of that room <laughs> because he did not want to um, deal with the, I don't know, I guess d deal with the backlash um, from his officer's actions, not just with this one incident that involved me, but multiple incidents that were mentioned during the forum as well, involving police officers and students of color in particular. Um, but yeah, they apologized to me and said that that shouldn't have happened to me. But And, and you know that that felt okay, but it didn't negate the fact that it did happen and nothing at all was done to try to remedy it. So, um, oh my goodness, one thing I didn't mention is about this the email when Deshaun sent the email to is that um so he sent the email out and then a, about a, a week later i get something in the mail from the st lawrence county district attorney's office <laughs> and it's an excerpt from the email that basically says my uh the email it, it was detailing so the email detailed what was going on what happened that day so it said you know my friend andre or my fraternity brother andre grabbed the snorkel and the flippers because I said he can have them. So that excerpt was taken out of the email. Um, actually, Al Mokin, it was on Al Mokin's letterhead, Chief Al Mokin's letterhead. He took the excerpt out, sent it to the DA's office and asked them to use this to further the prosecution on me. And um, the DA's office was forwarding that information to me so, they, so I could know what evidence they had against me in this criminal matter or whatever. So that that kind of blew me away. And I mentioned that during the open forum. And um, I believe that's probably why Chief Mokin got right out of there. 
um, when everyone else was trying to apologize to me for for the actions of his officers. So um, yeah, that's the that's the story, man. That's what happened. Um, shit's crazy. <laughs> Did that situation change your perspective at all um, on university police? Did that change my perspective? No, because I did not see them um, or view them um, in the most moral light before the situation happened. So um, there's been numerous incidents in the past um, that I'm not going to get into at the moment, but just things that have helped uh, frame my perspective, um, which I believe is a very uh, a very critical but accurate perspective um, on that on that force. Um, I believe that the force would do a lot better, um, at least with uh, community relations, um, more so pertaining to like uh, diverse student populations. They would do a lot better if they actually maybe grab some of the students that um, graduate out of their programs at the college because the college programs are very much so based on um, the concept and theory of community policing. So if you're not familiar with this concept, it's uh, it's basically um, police or law enforcement officials who have um, authority um, in certain jurisdictions instead of being... Uh, so retributionist, they're kind of trying to be more so um, um, restorative. So they want to turn they want to turn criminal matters into teaching moments rather than punish every single person for you know mistakenly taking flippers that someone told them that they can take out of their room. You know, so um, the entire program at SUNY Canton is based on this you know this concept of teaching the community um, rather than punishing the community. And I think they would do, I don't know, they would, they would do a lot better um, if they, if they really, really held those, those concepts like close, um, kind of use it to construct like the, the principles of the department. And it's, and it's just not like that right now at all. So you don't think that they use community, community policing tactics because they, they, um, they say that they do. Um, so, <laughs> what I have to say to that is like communism looks really, really good on paper. Like, you know, like the same the same thing um, I can say for community policing and the university police department at SUNY Canton. Like uh, what they say looks really good on paper. Um, but when it comes to uh making these words turning them into to to actions um that that's not the feel that you get from the department um it's not the feel that you get from the student body um and especially when you put the two together and just look at their interactions it is not it's almost it's almost always hostile it's just not not a good back and forth uh community policing model probably the furthest thing from it honestly and when you reference student body are you referencing specifically students of color yeah yeah because that's my experience i can't really speak uh to any other you know um ethnic group or racial uh, 
racial makeup of student, um, being a, a student of color myself. Um, when I was doing my undergrad, I mostly interacted with other students of color. So um, yeah, I can't, I can't say truthfully that I've that I've seen university police even interact with a, a white person or someone that's not a student of color. I've, I've I've never seen it, so I can't really speak to that. So yes, to answer your question, yes, I'm specifically speaking about students of color. Okay, and what what would you say the general con- general consensus that students of color at Canton right now have when it comes to university police? So the funny thing about that, right, is that there are um, multiple perspectives, you know, that people have um, on university police. Um, that students of color have on university police. So I've heard uh, the full gambit everywhere from they are amazing all the way to if you even think you smell you UP coming, just hide. <laughs> but it's funny that the one thing that uh, both of these students um, or both of these uh factions of students share in common is that if you ask them one simple question about university police, it's about, I would say, 95 to 99% um, certain that they'll answer, um, their answers will, will, will be very similar to one another. And that's that question is, do you feel um, that university police is racist? And... Um, you get a resounding yes to that, no matter what perspective the student is coming from. If it's a student of color, there's just there's just that underlying animus there. It's just it's 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 blatant. Um, it's harsh, but it's a a normalized reality for students of color. So, yeah, no matter how they view the cops, they always understand that um you know there's there's something wrong there's there, there's something wrong here this is this is not how things should operate but like i said it's just so normalized that it's it's accepted it's ingrained and do you feel like do you feel like right now with the current university police department with the current officers with the current chief do you feel like there's anything that they could do to better the relations on campus with students of color Because of my per- personal relationship with the department and my past experiences, my first inclination is to say, no, not with these people. There's no way. Um, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, but to play the other side of that, I really want to believe in law enforcement. And I want to believe that when officers take an oath um, to protect and serve, and to uphold our constitution and every American's constitutional rights. Um, I wanna believe that that means something. And I want to believe that no matter what you look like or how threatening you may seem, um, I wanna feel as though that police officers, no matter if they're university police or not, are going to act accordingly and act professionally. Um, So I, I, I don't know specific things that these officers right now can do. 
matter of fact, yeah, I would. You know, I I think no, I, um, I think that one thing that they actually can do is, um, is to have more of these open forums where students can come and voice their concerns and opinions directly to university police and have uh, some type of open dialogue to get to the get to the root of some of these um, very deep-seated issues um, and figure out tangible ways to confront these issues together rather than it being this kind of sense of us against them because that's that's what it is it's it's very thick and um, yeah it's 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 an everyday thing so I'd like to see more open dialogue between university police and the student body, um, in particular students of color, but everyone. Everyone should be able to voice their concerns and um, be able to just say, hey, like, I got treated like this and I thought that was unfair. And for university police to say either, you know what, that is not a part of protocol or this is actually a part of protocol or maybe it's a little too harsh or what have you, but, but just something to say, you know, since you attend this college and pay tuition and inadvertently uh, pay us to protect you, um, you kind of matter and how we how we perform our jobs um, matter and you have a say in that. So I, th- I think that would be very empowering for students and um, comforting as well for, for families of, of students. In, in that same respect, as someone who was previously a student at SUNY Canton, a student of color at SUNY Canton, um, and now um, being able to kind of reflect on those experiences and kind of look at it from the outside. What is your advice for students of color at Canton right now? Yeah, so when I was a student, um, I didn't really notice um a lot of the things that i notice now being on like the the professional side of things and looking in um but from my perspective now what i would suggest for students of color to do um is to know your rights know your rights know what police are allowed and not allowed to do and no matter where you're from um at all like no matter Brooklyn, Bronx, Manhattan, Buffalo, Cuse, like wherever, wherever you call home, um, just know that the cops, how the cops treat you back home is, is, is most likely wrong. Like when you feel uncomfortable around cops at home, you're supposed to be feeling uncomfortable because that's what they're, they're purposely doing that. So then when you come up to Canton and you're paying out of your tuition, you're paying these cops don't let them make you feel uncomfortable. Like there are outlets out there to to make it so you don't feel uncomfortable. There there are formalized complaints that you can make. There's administration that you can speak to. Um, you can protest, get together, like just make waves, cause cause some noise. Like don't let this shit rock. Like don't let it. Don't let them make you feel uncomfortable in your house. Like your your home is Canton up on that hill up there. That's where you live. People, when you, if you were back home, you wouldn't let people just walk in your house and tell you what to do. Don't let it happen here. Um, and these cops have more of an obligation to you as a student than you do to them. And um, I think just having students educate themselves on the role of a campus police officer um, would be the most uh, beneficial thing 
as of right now. So what is the role of a campus police officer and what are students' rights when interacting with the police? For the answer to that, I turn to Diane Exo, an attorney in Canton, New York. I'm Diane Exo, duly licensed to practice law in the state of New York. In my 26 years of practice here in St. Lawrence County, I've handled a variety of cases, including discrimination cases, sexual assault cases, criminal cases, matrimonial, and family law cases. I've also been an adjunct assistant professor at St. Lawrence University, where I've taught constitutional law. She's also my producer's mom. She works with a recently formed group of local activists, We Got Your Six, to help educate students in the North Country about their rights and file complaints of racial discrimination against their schools. Information about how to contact them is at the end of this broadcast. Now, before we begin, it's important to note that students at public universities do not lose their federal and state civil rights when they step onto campus, and campus police and university officials cannot violate those rights. However, and you're going to have to listen to for the howevers in this broadcast, However, civil rights are not absolute. It's always a balance between the individual's right and the state's right to protect the health, safety, and welfare of its citizen. In other words, the answer to almost any legal question is, under certain circumstances, yes. Today, we will be talking about your Fourth Amendment rights, Fifth Amendment rights, Sixth Amendment rights, and your right to privacy in your dorm room. So what do these rights entail for students? Your Fourth Amendment rights protect you from an unreasonable search and seizure absent a warrant issued by a judge upon probable cause. However, the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled that a Terry stop, which is where police briefly stop and even frisk you, is legal under certain circumstances. But there are limitations to a Terry stop. The name comes from the U.S. Supreme Court case, Terry v. Ohio. The Supreme Court held that if a police officer has a reasonable suspicion, and that suspicion is based on articulable facts, not just a hunch or spidey senses, that a person has committed, is committing, or is about to commit a crime. And crime under New York state law is defined as a misdemeanor or a felony. A violation is not a crime. Uh, if the officer suspects, based on reasonable suspicion, that the person has committed, is committing, or is about to commit a crime, the officer can briefly detain the suspect. 
Further, the officer can frisk the person, outer clothing only, searching for weapons, not drugs, if the officer has a reasonable belief that the person may be armed and dangerous. Again, there are limits to a Terry stop and frisk, but it is allowed under certain circumstances. However, again we have the however, police officers cannot search backpacks or purses during a, a Terry stop unless they reasonably believe that they contain a weapon and that the officer is in danger. Again, it can't just be a hunch. It has to be based on facts. The case that she's talking about, a 1967 Supreme Court case called Terry versus Ohio, established the police's right to stop, question, and frisk people based on reasonable suspicion. The officer in that case, Martin McFadden, saw a man walk up the street stare into a store window, and then wait on the corner. Another man did the same thing. He walked up the street, stared into the exact same store window, and then went to the corner. The two men briefly talked, and then turned around and did the same thing again. Walk up the street, stare into the same store window, and then wait at the corner and talk to the other guy. Then they did it again, and again, and again. They did it five or six times, according to McFadden. That's suspicious, right? They were casing the joint. But since 1967, police have interpreted that more broadly. It's the basis for modern stop-and-frisk practices. So what about students of color being questioned about what they're smoking at the gazebos? Or officers showing up to dorm rooms like they did to Tyreek and Ashley, saying that they smell marijuana? Your dorm room at a state university is protected from unreasonable search and seizure by the Fourth Amendment. Courts have recognized that you do have a right to privacy in your dorm room because it's your home for the purposes of the Fourth Amendment. In general, the police would need a warrant signed by a judge based on probable cause. However, there are exceptions to the Fourth Amendment, and police can enter a dorm room and conduct a warrantless search under the following exceptions. First, If there are exigent circumstances, which means imminent risk of harm, including but not limited to shouting, screams, uh, smoke coming out from under your door, or if someone is being chased by the police, enters your dorm room, a police officer may enter your room without a warrant. Two, a search pursuant to a lawful arrest. If you are arrested in your dorm room, police can search the immediate area In other words, whatever is within arm's length, and practically speaking, dorm rooms can be small, and there's a lot of of the room that can be reached within arm's length. Third, plain view doctrine. If the police come to your door and wish to speak with you, and you open the door wide, and there's drug paraphernalia or alcohol clearly in view when you open the door, the police can conduct a warrantless search because it's openly in sight. And that's based on the plain view doctrine. If the police knock on your door, don't open the door wide. Simply step out into the hallway to speak with them. And fourth, consent. And this is the one that I think applies to most uh, students. And here's one exception um, to dorm room searches. Consent can be verbally given by you or it can be given by your roommate if the police come by and you are not in your dorm room. Or consent can be written. 
which you did when you signed your housing agreement. If you read your uh, housing license, it says the following. Entry. And the first paragraph is pretty standard in landlord-tenant agreements. Quote, it is the college's intention to ensure all reasonable privacy in student living quarters. However, in the interest of the health, safety, and general welfare of the residence halls, the college reserves the right to enter and inspect student rooms at any reasonable time, including but not limited to before all academic recess periods after giving notice of its intention to do so to any occupant or occupants then present, unquote. Now, please note it says that the college must give you notice that they are going to enter your room. It's the second paragraph, I think, that would allow police to enter your room uh, without notice. Quote, the college reserves the right to enter a student's room whenever there is reason to believe that there exists therein a clear and present danger to person or property or to retrieve residence hall or college property or to determine compliance with federal, state, local law and college policies, procedures and rules where there is reasonable cause to believe that a violation has occurred or is occurring. Unquote. So again, the police would need reasonable cause, but that's a lesser standard uh, than probable cause. And of course, the doctrine of plain view would come into play here as well. But please note what's missing in the second paragraph, and that's the word inspect. It's used in the first paragraph when the college is required to give you notice, but it's not used in the second paragraph. So I believe a legal argument argument can be made that the university police can enter your dorm room, but they may not have the right to inspect or search absent a warrant. And the way police uh, get around this is to enter and order the student to open drawers, closets, containers, and so on, because if the student is complying, he or she is consenting, which is an exception to a warrant. You do have Fourth Amendment rights in your dorm room, but there are exceptions. And you may always ask the police if they have a warrant, and if not, state, I do not consent to a search. If the police choose to search your room, then you have preserved your Fourth Amendment right at trial, and your attorney can move to exclude any evidence based on an illegal search. But here's the problem. Campus police have too much power, and here's why. When police officers are also college officials, a search of dorm rooms or belongings for campus administrative safety issues becomes indistinguishable from a search for law enforcement purposes. For example, the smell of marijuana on a person or in a dorm room may not be enough to detain the person in a Terry stop or trigger a warrantless search for the purposes of criminal investigation. There's a very interesting case out of Ithaca City Court, which held that since certain amounts of marijuana have been decriminalized in New York State, the mere smell of marijuana is not enough to detain and search a person without a warrant. That's People v. Bruckner. It's a slip opinion, December 31st, 2015. However, 
Since the student handbook prohibits any drugs on campus, the smell of marijuana outside a dorm room could be enough for an administrative search by a college official. And what if that college official is also a police officer searching for criminal amounts of marijuana? Do they need a warrant for their criminal search, but not their administrative search? And if campus police can threaten a student with college discipline or a write-up if he or she does not consent to a search for law enforcement purposes, that's too much power. It's not voluntary consent, it's coercion. And in my opinion, it violates the due process rights of the students. It's an imbalance of power and it's a formula for injustice. The case she's talking about, People versus Bruckner, is a 2015 case from Ithaca. Two police officers searched a homeless man, that's Bruckner, because they said he smelled like marijuana. They didn't see any smoke or even see him smoking anything, just the smell. When they searched him, they found a bubbler, a kind of pipe used for smoking weed, and a bit of marijuana. Bruckner's lawyer argued that the evidence should be thrown out. The court agreed and let Bruckner off. Why? Remember that to initiate a Terry stop, the police have to have reasonable suspicion that you've committed or are about to commit a crime. In New York State, it's not a crime to possess any amount under 25 grams of marijuana. Since 1977, it's been a violation, basically a speeding ticket. As the court put it, quote, In short, the mere odor of marijuana emanating from a pedestrian, without more, does not create reasonable suspicion that a crime has occurred, and consequently does not authorize law enforcement to forcibly stop, frisk, or search the individual, end quote. So if you've been stopped at the gazebo for smelling like marijuana, or if UP has shown up at your dorm room saying that they smell marijuana, chances are your rights have been violated. So what do you do if you think your rights have been violated? Well, first of all, you're entitled to due process. And what is due process? Well, Black's Law Dictionary defines due process as a legal principle that no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without appropriate legal procedures and safeguards in place, such as notice and a fair and full hearing. The 14th Amendment in part states, no state shall deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So do you have a constitutional violation or a civil rights case? It's a state university, so you have state action, and you do have a property interest in a college degree. Uh, The lower federal courts have ruled that a public university education is a property right, and an enrolled student cannot be denied that right without legal procedures and safeguards in place. So here's where it gets really murky, and the law does not like murky. Students have a reasonable expectation of privacy in their dorm rooms. But since the college police are employees of the state university system and have the same police powers as municipal or state police, do they also have the same powers of school administrators to issue disciplinary citations that could result in fines, suspension, or even expulsion? When the police confront a student, are they wearing a college hat or a police hat? If local police or state police show up at a dorm room, 
they would need a search warrant absent the exceptions we just talked about. But a school administrator may not, depending on the purpose of the search as outlined in the housing license. If students are threatened with a disciplinary citation by the same police officer who wants to search the room, and if students reluctantly consent under duress, hoping to avoid a college write-up, is consent voluntarily given? I don't believe it is. It could be a violation of the student's 14th Amendment property rights and or equal protection clause if students of color are being targeted by campus police and Terry stops and room searches. And for that, you would need discovery, facts, statistics, breaking down the number of Terry stops and warrantless room searches, and how many apply to students of color. So what can you do if you feel that you are being targeted or discriminated against at a public university? Well, first, document, document, document. If you have an encounter with campus police, write down the date, time, names of the officers, what happened, what was said, witnesses, etc. It doesn't have to be long, just the facts. And store your information in a safe place, not on a college computer or college server. Two, record or video any interaction with the campus police. Three, pursue your administrative remedies at the college. Appeal your disciplinary finding. Uh, go through the process, letters to the dean and the president. Save all correspondence, email, and documents. Finally, once you have exhausted your university remedies, you may file a complaint with state and or federal agencies asking for an investigation. <clears throat> the federal agency you would file a complaint with is the U.S. Office for Civil Rights. The state office is the New York Division of Human Rights. And right now, I would recommend filing with the New York State Division of Human Rights. Under our current administration, the status of federal enforcement agencies is unclear, so I would pursue a claim through a state agency. I would also recommend speaking with an attorney who does discrimination claims because these are fact-driven claims subject to short statutes of limitations, and the general legal information that I've given here may or may not apply to your situation. Diane also has some advice for students who are stopped and questioned by the police. So what do you do if you are on campus and a police officer stops you? First, be respectful, be calm, and do not become angry or aggressive. And please keep your hands out of your pockets. Do not run. Now here's an idea. Organize a campus-wide movement where students agree to video police stops on their cell phones. You have a right to film police as long as you are not aggressively interfering with the police officer's duty. So second, what do you do if the campus police ask you for identification? Well, New York State does have a stop and identify law, and that's New York uh, State Criminal Procedure Law Section 140.50 that says a police officer can ask for ID but only if he has a reasonable belief that a misdemeanor or a felony, in other words, a crime, has been committed or is about to be committed. However, the student handbook says you must surrender your college ID, 
ID if a college official requests it, and it doesn't define surrender. So if a police uh, officer asks you for your college identification, I would advise you to show it because he may be requesting that as a college official, not a police officer. It's hard to tell. Thirdly, do not agree to a search. If the police say, would you open your backpack, move your stuff around, just say, I do not consent to a search. When a police officer says, would you open your personal belongings, it sounds a lot like an order and students comply. And if students comply, it's considered consent. Imagine if you claimed in court that the search of your belongings was without your consent. Well, the officer testifies, I asked her if she would open her purse. I never touched it. She willingly opened her purse, and she even moved things around so I could see inside better. It was a voluntary search. It doesn't sound very good, does it? If the police officer asks you to empty your pockets, open your backpack, open your purse, ask him or her her to tell you why you've been stopped. The police officer doesn't have to tell you. In fact, the police officer may ask you, what do you think I'm stopping you? Don't incriminate yourself. Simply state, I have no idea, officer. Do not guess. No matter how many times you are are asked that, answer the same. I have no idea, officer. And your answer to open your backpack or purse is, I do not consent to a search. I cannot stop you if you choose to search my belongings without a warrant, but it is not with my consent. If the officer insists, tell him or her, I'm going to place my purse or my backpack on the ground. If you continue with this warrantless search of my belongings, I cannot prevent you, but it is not without my consent. If the police continue, ask if you are under arrest. And if the answer is no or not yet, or if the police officer refuses to answer, ask if you are free to leave. If you are arrested, do not talk to the police. Let me repeat that. Do not talk to the police. You must be Mirandized, and please exercise your right to remain silent. The magic words are, I want an attorney. It's not, do you think I should call an attorney? Maybe I should call my folks to see if I should get an attorney. That is not enough to trigger your Sixth Amendment right to an attorney. Once you have said that, in New York State, if you've said, I want an attorney, The police must stop questioning you, and once you have asserted your right to an attorney, you cannot waive it unless an attorney is present. And if you can't afford an attorney, one will be appointed for you, and St. Lawrence County has a very capable public defender's office and conflict defender's office. And please remember, in New York State, you have the right to record any conversation to which you are a party. You do not have to inform the police that you are recording the conversation or ask the officer's consent. So if you have any police interaction, just press record on your cell phone. And finally, you always have the right to consent to a search if you believe it's in your best interest to do so under the circumstances. I realize that it takes courage, time, and energy to assert your civil rights 
and you want to pick your battles carefully. So there you have it. The police aren't allowed to stop you based on the smell of marijuana alone. If they have and you think it was racially motivated and want to file a complaint, you absolutely have the right to do so. If they stop you for it in the future, don't talk to the police. You have every right to record the interaction and you don't even have to tell the cops you're doing it. If you see someone else being stopped, pull out your phone and record it if you're comfortable doing so. If you're arrested, tell them the magic words, I want a lawyer. I'm Erin Corbine, and this has been the fourth episode of Jim Crow on Campus. My producer is Christian Exo, and we're a production of Weave News. Weave News, weaving the world together, one underreported story at a time. Students who have faced racial discrimination in the North Country at any of the four colleges, SUNY Canton, SUNY Potsdam, Clarkson, or St. Lawrence University, who want support can visit wegotyour6.org. That's wegotyour and the number 6.org. They can help you file complaints with your school, with New York State Office of Civil Rights, and federally with the Department of Education. If you're interested in suing your school and or the individuals who discriminated against you, they'll set you up with a free legal consultation with a lawyer, Diane, who we heard in this episode, actually, to explain your rights. <laughs>